join me on the dark side. Because Jeff is bringing his A-game, and quite frankly, that's got me a little freaked out. Not going to lie. Welcome to the Jeff Effect. Welcome back to the Jeff Effect. This is, of course, Jeff, and I'm still here, and evidently so are you. Um, hey, listen, um, we're going to talk about unemployment, new and improved for a modern man. Um, here's the thing, you know, we are, the world is is quaking in its shoes right now. We are all figuring this stuff out, and it feels like the world's falling apart. Hint, pro tip, it's not, we're going to be okay in the long run. But, you know, unemployment numbers, we're going to see a lot of it. I'm, I'm going to let the, uh, the medical doctors and the researchers talk about, for now, for the time being, let them keep talking about, uh, you know, hospital rates and infection rates and stuff of that nature. I'm going to talk right now about the unemployment rate. Because ultimately, on the other side of this, we have an economy that we got to save. And people are going to be screaming about the unemployment rate and GDP and stuff like that. But... They're going to throw numbers around, and the numbers are meaningless. And they're going to do uh, uh, strange comparisons between one number or one time period in history and another and go back and forth. And that information is just not helpful. I want to be helpful. And I came to a realization. I was going to do some different content today, but I came to a realization. When it comes to the unemployment issue right now, I'm probably the best guy in the world to help you understand unemployment in the current situation, or at least one of them. And, and I'm not just whistling, I'm just whistling in the wind here. This is, all right, first things first, I'm 55 years old. I've been unemployed more than once. Whoa. I know what that feels like at most stages in my life. Number two, I have a deep interest in education in macroeconomics. Number three, I love you guys. It sounds kind of cheesy and shallow, but it's absolutely true. I love you, and I want you to be happy and understand what's going on. I think I'm having a heart attack here. And four, and this is probably the most important, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Say what? No products. I, I'm not tell, saying buy my shirts. I'm not selling you any services. You're not hearing any ads or seeing any ads. I, I, there's, no, there's no revenue opportunity for me in this. I'm not even trying to tell you to vote one way or another. There's no ulterior motive. There's no hidden agenda. I just want you to understand what's going on. And by understanding, you can make better decisions for yourself. So if you're laid off or f now or fired or and you have no idea what you're going to do, you know I'm here for you. And... I think you need to understand what's going on in the world. So as a rule, let's start with this. As a rule, economists. I have a few favorite economists. I love economists. I think like an economist. And, uh, but economists, you know, they're really, really good at understanding complex topics and making them even harder to understand and communicate. They do you no good. You have no we haven't had a good communication-based economist in a generation. Um, and so although all my economics brothers and sisters out there, I love you um, too, but you, you know we, we got to get better at describing what uh, not just what these topics are, what makes them happen, 
but we need to be able to get the ideas and why it matters and the important concepts. We need to deliver that in a way people can get. That's what I'm trying to do here. Um, so you want to know what's going to happen. You, you, you want to know what's going to happen to you and the job market and if you're going to be okay and if you're going to be able to get a job once all this thing is over. Uh-huh. So we're not going to talk about the deep research and analytics of unemployment. It's just not helpful to you, right? We're not going to tell you all the econometrics models and how unemployment is factored into productivity rates for the nation and the GDP and how they're interrelated with the interest rates. That doesn't do you any good, right? So, um, but why should, right, so let's talk about unemployment. Let's talk about the real, real issues of unemployment. Why do, you know, why listen to me? You know what? I, I've been where you are. I, I, and I hate it when people use to, to support their argument. I hate it when they try to use their resume to support their argument. So you know what? I'm going to support my argument with my anti-resume. This is my anti-resume, right? I have been unemployed. Sometime, sometimes that's been abruptly and unexpectedly. I got my ass fired. Um, sometimes I've become unemployed unfairly. And uh, let's just say I've uh, learned a lot about bad bosses. Seriously, you have no idea, right? Um, one, one time I, I lost my, my uh, job as a contractor at a, at a major um, you know, a technology firm. This goes back, this goes back 25 years uh, because uh, there were, some people were gutting for my boss and I wouldn't betray him. I wouldn't betray my boss. So they got me out of the way. Um, sometimes I've been unemployed uh, by choice for a brief period of time. And I just needed to take and chill for a month or two. And uh, before I started a new job, and that next job was much better. Um, even once I became desperately unemployed, probably one of the worst experiences of my life, and it's really relevant now, Due to uh, to national crises, uh, I we had that double punch hit in in two thousand and two thousand and one. We had the bursting of the dot com bubble, coupled with the tragic uh, terrorist attacks of nine eleven. And that one two punch, you know, my wife and I were running a small business at the time, and it just wiped us out. And I was not only unemployed, but I was sad and depressed for a while. It was it was a serious situation. So, and and I think that's a little bit analogous to right now. I you know I I powered through that. And, uh, you know, if you are, you know, a couple, a decade or two behind me, that, that, that experience probably wasn't real to you, um, you know, but it, it, was, it was very real to me. It was life to me. And, and we might be going through something similar right now, and so it might, might help. But during those times, you know, I learned some things. I learned both the uh, real value and real risk of debt. I learned, I got myself super educated, you know, both formally and informally, you know. And I put my financial house in order, so so things are a lot better right now. And and you know I got a better boss. I work for myself, and uh, so even though I'm tempted to fire myself occasionally, I keep giving myself one more chance because I have so much potential. See what you did there. But um, when we get right down to it, you know when, when you you're, you're getting your information from lots of places, including hopefully me, and you know but when you watch other media, they're you know, they're going to be completely worthless. I, I find them completely worthless. You know. I believe that even on the business stations, they don't know or understand what's going on. 
And, and like all humans, they've got biases. They, they're going to naturally highlight and headline whatever stats or numbers agree with their you know, pre-held biases. And, and then they're going to have very highfalutin, important guests on their talk shows, some of them with impressive titles and degrees and you know, PhD this and Council of Formulations that. You know, but they're only going to have people on that who agree. And if they have some guest on, some poor guest that they don't agree with, they're going to just be mean to them. You know? And again... Their whole goal is they're trying to support the narrative, the story, and the ideas and the biases they already believe in their head. And in, in the meantime, they're hoping to get some of your attention and sell you some ads. So let's, I'm going to cut through all that. I don't want to talk about any of that superfluous stuff. It doesn't help you, right? I want to tell you about what the employment rate is tell you about what's going on and what the different types and why the unemployment rate itself, that number is not super helpful just by itself outside of context and what you need to think about for the long term and why it matters to you. And then we'll go on from there. So the first thing is what is the unemployment rate? And you know, it sounds simple, right? It, but it's, 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 it's deceptively simple because there's actually two numbers in there and we need to understand what those numbers are. But what it's not is this. The unemployment rate is not just the number of people who don't have a job. That, that's not what it is. We actually have a separate measurement for that. It's, it's called labor force or workforce participation rate. And what that is, that's the number of people in the country who are either working or are actively looking for work. And that's, it's the total of those people. Right now, naturally, what right, that's important is that nat number naturally does not include underaged people, people who are retired, or people who are permanently disabled. And there's a few other people who fall into interesting categories, but that those are the three big ones. They're the ones that matter, and th and that that workforce participation rate has fluctuated over the years. Um, as demogra you know, demographics change, you know, the, the average age of the country goes up, the average of the country goes down, and the economy goes up and down. So, the, so that labor force participation rate has fluctuated from about 59% to 68%. And more recently, it's been around the range of 63%. Uh, so what does that mean? So um, 63% of the population. Okay, that, that's, that's uh, you know, the, the whole population of the country is 330 million people, a round number. Let's, use, let's agree to use round numbers for the sake of this conversation because we can be annoyingly okay. precise and it doesn't help. 63% of the population is about 208 million people. All right, so recently the workforce participation rate has been 208 million people. Now the unemployment rate, the thing that they trumpet and they say and uh, they flash around the unemployment rate is X and this is why it's good and this is why it's bad. The unemployment rate is a measure of the people in that labor workforce participation group. So that 63%, you know, we have 330 million people in the U.S., 63% is 208 million. So the unemployment rate is the number of that 208 million. It's the percent of that smaller number of the people who claim to be looking for work at the time. But, you know, let's, that number alone doesn't tell you the whole story because not all unemployment is created equal, all right? So there are three types, really. I mean, we economists, we can get 
really out in the weeds on these things, but that the, it, what, what you need to know is that there are three types of unemployment. Again, three types of unemployment in people who are actively looking for work. There's transitional unemployment, temporary unemployment, and structural unemployment. Three types of unemployment. Okay, so I'm going to give you just general examples of all three because they all contribute to the unemployment rate, but some of them aren't so bad, okay? Like transitional unemployment. What is that? What's an example of that? You, get out of, you, you graduate from college in May. It's kind of hard to get hired in the summertime. It's hard to get hired over the Christmas season. So you are transitionally unemployed sometimes. Sometimes you get recruited right out of school and life goes on and you buy a BMW and, and uh, you know, start drinking you know, lattes from Starbucks. Maybe, that, maybe that's your life, in which case you know, a lot of people don't like you. The transitional unemployment is something like that. You've, you've graduated from school, you're interviewing from, for jobs, you're finding what career you want, um, and you're moving on from there. Or... You, are, uh, you quit or are laid off from one job, and you've got your next job, but your next job doesn't start for a while. I remember that happened to me one time as I, you know, I stopped a job, um, in, and the, the new company hired me, but they wanted me to start the first week of January. And that's fine. I mean, I, I knew, I mean, I had a nice, easier-going Christmas than I might have otherwise gone. They, you know, they didn't want to bring me on during the holiday season. Half the staff was going to be gone on vacation anyway. It didn't make any sense for them. didn't make any sense for me. So I got the job like I, uh, in like mid-November. I got the job. I accepted the job. They said to hire me, and my start date was like January 3rd. That is another type of transitional unemployment. I'm in a transition. I'm unemployed and legitimately unemployed and legitimately you know, can claim unemployment insurance and get small payments, you know, from the, from the local government in Arizona at the time. But it was transitional. It's not that bad, right? Then you have things that are temporary. We call temporary unemployment. Um, you get sick. And, you know, uh, you know sometimes you, you get to keep your job when you're sick. Some, some jobs, they, they just can't hold them for, you know, especially low-paying jobs. There's, there's just no practical way for a small business to hold your job for you if you if you get sick, and that's why that's why they have you know uh, you know like uh, insurance policies you know that to to cover specific things like this, and why you know some people, especially if you're in a risk group for that, you should you should have those types of insurance policies. It's called workman's comp policies. That if you break your leg and you you can't wait tables, you can't go to a construction site because you broke your leg, you want that little Aflac duck to be quacking in your ear and bringing you a check, right? You know what I'm saying? So obviously that's a temporary type of unemployment because you should be able to get a waitress job or construction job as soon as you're healthy again because you have the skills, you have the job, you know what you're doing, you know, you are temporarily unemployed. And if you stop and think about it, there's a, there's a, you can think of a hundred ways that there's th occasions of temporary unemployment, right? You'd get fired and um, you um, are looking for a job. It's usually temporary, right? Now, then you have structural unemployment, Structural unemployment is really what we have to worry about. Um, structural un unemployment means that there are no jobs. For one reason or another, I'm, I'm simplifying this greatly. It means that the economy is not in a position to create enough jobs to meet the demand. And, and, and that's, you know, there's a lot of nuances to that. I mean, I, I, but those nuances really don't help you that much. So 
Um, if you, uh, with a dip in the economy, you know, if you're unemployed, you know, uh, they, they measure this about how long it takes you. For somebody who's temporarily unemployed or they loses their job, they measure, one of the help measures to see whether or not the economy has temporary unemployment or structural unemployment is they see how long it takes the person to get rehired. So let's say that uh, uh, I'm not trying to pick on a company, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a name company up. You know, uh, say that uh, ABC Corp lays off 10,000 people. Well, economists and social scientists say, okay, all those people are now looking for work. How long did it take them to get rehired someplace else? And if they get hired in a few months, then it's like, oh, okay, well, it means the economy doesn't have a problem. The economy can create jobs for these people, whether they take higher pay, higher wages, similar wages, or lower wages or benefits. The point is there's a job that they can take and that they can move to. And so it was temporary unemployment. If these people, if it takes them, you know, eight months, 12 months to get a job, well, we know it's doing economic harm. It's, of course, doing economic harm to them. But it tells us that either the, the, the employment, the economic employment of the region or of the nation we got to start looking at it because maybe there's a structural issue. Maybe the economy can't produce enough jobs. So I'm just giving you a hypothetical example to explain the concept. So do you understand the difference there? Right? Okay. So where are we right now? You know, in the current crisis, the job market has just had a huge shock. I mean, just take a deep breath for a second here. And I hope I have a big swath of variety of different people listening to this. But you got to embrace the truth here. We all have to kind of embrace a truth. It doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't matter whether you like the current president. It doesn't matter whether you approve of Congress or the Senate. It doesn't matter if you like your current governor of your state. All of that does not matter right now. You think it matters. But the truth of the matter is we have to separate ourselves from that the political conversation. We have to say the truth is that before this whole pandemic outbreak, you know, crap, hell, purgatory that we have to put ourselves through, the economy was running strong. Unemployment was at what many people believe to be is the theoretical minimum. It, uh, what economists call that full employment. Let me tell you what that means. You know, we talked about the three different types of, of employment, transitional, temporary, and structural. And there's actually one more. There's, there's people who just pretend they're looking for work and they don't because they're, they're what's called the permanently unemployed. And that's, but they're such a, they're, they're an edge case. You know, people hold them up as an example. They're not. The permanently unemployed is really the smallest piece of the labor pool. And so I'm going to, I'm going to forget it. I'm just going to set that aside for a second right now. All right. So we were at between 3% and 3.5%. You, you know, you can argue that tenths of a percentage point if you if you want to be that way about it, but reality, we were around three to three and a half percent unemployment, which is really low, because in that mix, you always have somebody who decides that they don't want to live in California anymore because it's too expensive, and they move to Idaho, and they quit their job in California, and they're moving to Idaho, and they start a job. They're transitionally unemployed. They have a new job in Idaho. They just haven't started yet, and you can't make that go away. People will always govern their lives that way. So there's always going to be some number of people who are transitionally unemployed. There's always going to be some number of people who are transitioning from student life to working life, and they're getting their first their first real career job after after graduating. There's oh every year there's going to be some number of those people. So you can't have zero percent unemployment because there's going to be some chunk of people who are transitional. 
And no matter how good the economy is, you're always going to have some business that fails for one reason or another, or some little localized, uh, you know, a hurricane hits, uh, for, please God forbid, knock on wood everybody and, and say your prayers at night that we don't have another hurricane for a while, but a hurricane hits the Florida coast and some businesses close down and you have some people who are temporarily unemployed. And that has nothing to do, there's always, well, the point is there's always some number, and, and we argue about what the optimal number is. And we can, we can say the optimal is 2.5% or 3.5%. We can argue about that, but the point being is it's never zero, right? Unemployment rate is never zero because there's always, yes, some permanently unemployed, very, very small amount, but there's always some number of transitional and temporary unemployed people in the system and we'll never, it's like, we can, we'll never get to zero. In, in mathematics, they call it a limit. The limit is zero because you can never get there. And, and you'll just never. You, just keep, you can keep trying to drive unemployment down. You're never going to get to zero. So many people, whether we agree or not, doesn't matter. But everybody agrees that unemployment was really low and the economy was humming along. And some believe it was about as low as it can get. Really, right? Agree or disagree, but the concept, get the idea, Right? Now, so there's a ton of reasons for it, but the reasons that we were at three to three and a half unemployment, I don't want to get in the politics or the, uh, or the economics of that either because that doesn't help us where we are right now. The point is, is that the economy, what, you know, for, as far as jobs are concerned, right, it wasn't a bubble. We weren't in a bubble employment, right? You know, in fact, real demand for goods and services was high and companies were having trouble finding employees, because the unemployment was so low. And this was starting to influence wages. The, you can see that the average wage, for the first time in a while, was starting to creep back up. It was, it was small at first. These things are always small at first, right? But this growth, this growth in employment was deep and wide. That means that individual industries were expanding and that that was felt across nearly all industries in the country. It was broad-based, right, and deep right? But in the last two months, that's all gone to crap, right? We, we have all agreed to close things down to try to mitigate the pandemic. So, okay. But the point being is that there was not a structural fault. There was no structural, no real problem of structural unemployment in the economy prior to the pandemic, okay? Now, as things go forward, you've got to embrace something here, right? everyone is going to armchair quarterback the crap out of this thing when it's over. P political nitwits of all stripes will argue over should have done what and when they should have done it. But everybody's... You know, the tr truth is, man, this. This sucks for everybody. And, and there may be a few real malefactors out there trying to profit from other people's misery. But the truth of the matter is, right, the truth of the matter is that just about everybody is probably trying to do their best. And some of their decisions that they're going to make, they're going to be off a bit here and there. And I don't know about you. I ain't a perfect person. I'm, I don't expect any of them to be perfect either. And we have to really kind of avoid the, the reflex to say, oh, well, this, we could have saved 16 lives in New Jersey if we'd started a day earlier. That, that doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't help. You know, the, when you're in the middle of the crisis, when things are just blooming, nobody has all the information. And it's really easy for us, after the fact, to come back and be really critical once we have all the data and all the, 
you know, the guys have crunched their numbers and done their charts when this thing's in our rearview mirror, you know, I guarantee you people are going to be, you know, you know, making a political case out of this, trying to re- optimize history, which you can never do. But I need to patent that term. Let me copyright that term. Make note to self, optimizing history. That um, uh, do, do, uh, make it the domain because that's that's gonna that's a that's a real, it's a good concept. We as humans we like to try to op- re-optimize history. When 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 you're living through history, however, you are optimizing without complete information. When you're in the future and you're looking back, it's easy to, to re-optimize the outcomes because you have more information. Think about that. That's you know what I'm gonna ring a bell. On that one, because it is an important concept and it applies to more than just this issue, but let's not get distracted. Okay, um, but the truth is this: nearly all of the unemployment, right, that's going on right now, right, it happened all at once. It's over. It's happened over the last. You know, pick a number. Last thirty to sixty days. It's all happened over the last thirty to sixty days, and right now it's temporary. It's temporary unemployment. The underlying businesses and industries, we see, we, you know, I see the struggles. Don't think I don't. I have deep, deep empathy. I had uh, the 20 years ago after 9 11, the national crisis kicked my ass. It, 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 I, it took me years to psychologically and emotionally recover from that pain, let alone financially. It took a long time. It wiped me out, right? So I feel that. All right, I feel it in a real and visceral way, in, in a, you know, probably truer than 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 uh, than most people. Okay, because I lived through it and I experienced it. Right, I know there's pain out there, but where we most businesses are hanging on, all right, and landlords are being a little understanding and suppliers kind of get it right, and and there's some money coming from the government, not enough, too much. We'll, we'll talk about that later, right? But when things start to come back online, these companies are going to have a chance to stop, take a breath, and then when they're confident that the things really are stabilizing, you know, they're going to start ramping up and they're going to hire people back. And, when you, and, and then we'll see some recovery. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. If there is something that makes this whole coronavirus pandemic response drag on more than another month or so, those underlying businesses are going to start to suffer. They're going to start to suffer more lasting and, and permanent damage. All right? Okay, that means over time, unemployment is at risk of going from temporary unemployment, which I believe that most unemployment right now is still temporary unemployment, to structural and that's the real risk. The longer the economy stays repressed, the more businesses will shift from temporary to structural. And this is true no matter how much money the Treasury and Federal Reserve throw at the problem. Doesn't matter what else you do. Time can move the problem from temporary to structural. That's the concept. Now, let's be clear. America We'll be fine, eventually. We'll recover. You know, uh, off the top of my head, I'm just, you know, it's just you and me. When I do, like, I I hope I don't sound repetitive, but when I do these things, I'm just pretending like I'm talking to you, specifically you, the person listening right now, like I'm talking to one single person. So I'm just going off the top of my head. When I think about it, 
I think Germany's in really good shape too. You know, they've uh, it, it, Germans have done a wonderful job managing their economy and industrial base for for generations. Uh, I think Germany will be fine. Um, the UK will probably emerge a bit slower because they're currently even more you know socially and politically divided than America is right now. Most of the developed world will eventually be fine in the medium term. And now, now it's, it's important. But let me tell you what I mean by medium term. You know, when I say medium term, I mean the next two to five years. You know, I, I've even made some, you know, kind of bold predictions with a few close friends, um, and uh, you know about what's going to happen. I, I wrote it out for them and stuff. But one of those predictions is that you know, not saying when we get back where we were, but we're going to get back to the long-term trend in a couple of things in about eighteen months, no more than two years. And I'm I'm planning some content and on talking to you all directly about some of those predictions because they might be helpful to you. Again, I only want to give you information that hopefully helps you understand things and, and will be ultimately helpful for you, right? But we all want to get back sooner if we can. And at some point, we will. Let me emphasize this. At some point, we will trade off a smaller amount of, some, some smaller amount of medical health risk to ensure financial and social health is not harmed too badly. That trade-off will happen. It's not, it's, it's not an easy choice. And I got some news for you. It's not an amoral choice. It's a choice made in the real world. You know, structural economic damage will cost lives and futures too. And you know, I'll do a podcast just about that if we have time. All right, but what about you? You, who's listening to me right now? Okay, so it's, what about your future? What if you're currently unemployed or concerned that you're about to lose your job? It's a real concern, right? We, we all feel that, right? So... I want you to keep your eyes on when you think the economy will get up and running. If we get going by early May 2020, businesses and enter- most, nine, you know, most businesses and enterprises of all shapes and sizes will be able to start planning, and the government will be able to give them the support they need to kind of bridge the gaps. And if that happens, then rehiring will come you know, relatively soon. Unemployment, I expect it to hike to somewhere between 16 and 25%, I think somewhere in there, but it'll be short-lived, coming back down over the following two or three quarters. That's, that's kind of the best-case scenario right now. Temporary, we stay in temporary unemployment. We uh, start to recover from, uh, you know, go, it spikes up to somewhere between 16 and 25%, and then we start coming back over the next two to three quarters and get our country back on track. But... This is what you keep your eye on at the same time. If we do not reopen the country until, say, June or later, well, I'm going to, I tell you what I'm going to do. If I start to believe that we are not going to reopen the economy until June, I'm going to break out the econ textbooks and, uh, and I'm going to start uh, really thinking about the calculations and, the, and, and about, and I'll revise everything. Because the, because the rules will have changed. I'm hoping that we don't get there. I'm optimistic that they won't. But given that, you and I on this podcast will have another chat about this right here in this podcast, um, and we'll talk about it then too. But something else, no matter what, and then again, we're talking about the best case scenario, that we get open sometime, uh, you know, say in May, and uh, uh, businesses start to get weaned back into reality.
there's a few businesses and industries out there that even in the best of circumstances already have some structural issues caused by the whole pandemic. And it, it's worth mentioning at least one, right? So let me give you an example of what that would be. Uh, the cruise line industry. Now, the structural unemployment issues they have are advanced. They've jumped ahead because it's not that the businesses themselves won't survive. It's not that there won't be ships available for employees to work on. It's not that they won't have the ability to start up. I even think that the government's going to give them some special financing options to keep them afloat, if you'll pardon the pun. But the real issue is going to be a structural problem with demand. You know, the cruise ship industry has been doing very, very well. They keep building bigger and bigger ships, but it's going to be a problem that goes out beyond, that's going to extend out a little bit because we all have this image in our head, right? We have this image of these cruise ships that, have, that weren't allowed to dock for weeks because they had some sick people on them. They kind of became these confined plague ships, and they were <clears throat> you know, rolling up and down the coast of California and Florida waiting for permission to come to come into shore because nobody wanted to have the sick people come on, on, on the shore in their town. And this is the problem, right? That imagery is in everybody's head, and there's been a history... Um, fairly recent history where other, you know, sicknesses and stuff like that have have spread rapidly on cruise ships. So this is going to create a shift, a psychological shift that's going to, in my opinion, decimate demand in the cruise ship, in, cruise ship industry for the long term, no matter how much money the government throws at them, no matter how tolerant their lenders are, um, the people who build and operate and finance cruise ships, the structural damage to those industries, and in, in my, I'm not wishing evil on anyone, but in, in my economic opinion, the damage is already done there. And there's probably a few other industries that have structural damage done in some way to them. So that's just an example. So although I believe we are not in a place where structural unemployment exists for the economy as a whole, you'll find pockets of structural unemployment um, in certain industries and locations. So <clears throat> that said, all right, in, now, all that said, that's the background. You know, in the meantime, as we're waiting this out so we know, we, so you and I together can figure out what's going on here, you are going to hear the media, they're going to show you a ton of crazy headlines and graphs that say things like, Worst unemployment since the Great Depression, and the you know it's the it's the biggest spike since the whatever bad day we had a few years ago, or whatever you know whatever they're saying, and you know that it's just clickbait BS. It just is. These people they have no freaking idea, you know, and and a big spike up in unemployment, no matter how high, it's not the Great Depression because. I'm going to lean in the microphone here and get really, really close because I want you to listen to this. In the Great Depression, unemployment was deeply structural. We had high double-digit unemployment at times 20 to 30% for a decade. Uh-huh. The numbers they show you about things like initial jobless claims, in reality, they're useless to you. They just spread irrational fear. The real issue that everyone 
in upper levels of government are really worried about is how long people are unemployed. Now, you know, simply stated, let me kind of boil this down to a simple statement. 10 million people being unemployed for a year is far worse economically than 100 million people being unemployed for a month. It is the sum total of lost wages and opportunity over time and how that changes human behavior. That's the risk. For a month, now, they say things like this. They say that, you know, that, that every, all of us are two paychecks away from, or one paycheck away from poverty. People say things like that, but it's, not, it's really not true. We, you know, the whole principle of economics is that we adapt. We, we change our behavior. And for a month, the government can do things like provide relief, and people can change their consumption and their behavior and adapt. Um, they can go online and they can sell things. They can, they can, uh, you can go on eBay and sell a little bit of your used stuff that you're not, you can generate a little bit of money online here and there. You can have a yard sale. You know, uh, you can maybe use up a little bit of your savings or retirement money, or you can borrow a few thousand dollars from your parents, whatever. The point being is that for a month, the country can survive a month. All of us as consumers, and I'm, I'm in that boat with you, right? We can all get by for a month or so, you know, by adapting, getting the, our landlord to, for, you know, delay our month or forgive a month's rent. There's, there's things that are done. Now, for two months, it gets harder. A small percentage of us will start to suffer real permanent harm. For three months, well, see, that's when more businesses close permanently. A large number of people will start to drop into real poverty. Not good. Why is the rum gone? The longer people are unemployed, the more it becomes difficult to recover or unco unrecoverable in the short term because permanent structural damage starts to get done to the economy. And to be clear again, I don't think we're, you know, going to get there. I don't think we're there yet. Now, I know a bunch of people, I know a bunch of people who are unemployed right now, and, and, and since I've been through that, you know, I have deep empathy for everybody, and I also have some suggestions on what to do. So I'm going to jump, in my next podcast, I'm going to jump ahead, you know, the, not the podcast, the podcast after this one, I'm going to talk about things that individual people like you and me can do on the short term to get by, and I've mentioned a few of them right now. But, you know, that's the next podcast. In the meantime, if you have specific questions that you like answered privately, or if you want me to cover a topic on the Jeff Effect podcast, uh, you know, the best way right now is to DM me on Twitter at Jeffrey J. Hardy. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-J-H-A-R-D-Y, Jeffrey J. Hardy. Remember... There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're all going to be okay. Stay tuned, and I'll help in any way that I can. Bye.